gonna give you guys a profound truth. Are you ready for this? Come on now, are you ready for this? I don't think you're ready for this. Men and women are, wait for it, different. <gasps> it's true. Now, I'm not talking anatomically. That's obvious. I mean in our very personhood, in, in the core of who we are in our being, we are different. Now, I had always known this throughout my life, but I have realized this to a whole other level since getting married. My wife, Skye, and I, I realized we process information very differently. I remember early on in our marriage, we'd be sitting on the couch, we'd be having a conversation, we'd be talking, we'd get done with the conversation. And there was a book that came out 20 years ago called Men Are Like Waffles, Women Are Like Spaghetti. Do you remember that? So men, literally, neurologically, we put things in our little compartments, our little waffle squares. Women, neurologically, tend to, in general, you know, everything's touching everything, everything has implications, multitasking, that kind of thing. So we have a conversation, we get done with the conversation, I take the conversation, I put it in its nice, neat little box, I put the lid on the box, I tape it up, sign, seal, delivered, I put it back in storage, out of sight, out of mind. 20 minutes later, I forget we even had that conversation. She's talking, do you remember what, no, I don't even remember what I ate for breakfast this morning. Let alone 20 days or 20 weeks later. But weeks later, she would bring up that conversation and she'd be like, do you remember when we, no, I, I don't remember what I did yesterday. Well, I was thinking about what we talked about weeks ago and if we do this, it's gonna affect this. If we do this, it's gonna affect this. And this implication is gonna have this. And I thought about, you know, we need to look at our finances and we look at our finances, we're gonna have to get a budget app. If we get a budget app, we're gonna have to get a financial advisor and we're gonna have to plan for Christmas gifts because that's a big expenditure. Uh, but not just 2022, 2025. And we're gonna have to think through this and this and this. And I'm just like, ha, ha, ha. it's like she's popping off the lids of all these boxes I have in storage, bringing everything out. And I don't say that to mock my wife. That's not to demean her. That's to celebrate her. We think differently. And that's one of hundreds of examples I could give. Men and women are different. You may, may remember the nursery rhyme, what are little boys made of? Snip snails and puppy dog tails. What are little girls made of? Sugar spice and everything nice. Now is that true? I don't have little boys, but yes, yes, it's true. <laughs> Our little girls are sweet and spicy, and I realize that makes them sound like a dipping sauce, but <laughs> they are, they're so cute and cuddly and sweet. So is that it, is that what makes boys and girls, is that, is that what makes male and female differently, that boys are, you know, playful and pesky while girls are prim and proper? No, listen, our youngest daughter I'm positive is full of puppy dog tails. <laughs> so no, not necessarily, but there is an inherent truth to this nursery rhyme that we have to grasp, which is males and females are different. So many similarities, so many commonalities, and yet we're different, and that's okay. That's actually a good thing. And we're gonna see why it's a good thing. So our goal today is to shine the light on what scripture says, what God says on biblical womanhood, namely, who are women in God's eyes? And then to see what does this mean for us at a practical level for men and women? So let's dig in. First point is a powerful one. Identity is a powerful thing. It's so powerful, why? Because it gets to the core of who we are. Much of life is trying to figure out who I am at the core of my being, who are we? 
This may be perhaps the most fundamental human question. At the core of my being, who are we? Life is a journey of discovery into that very inquiry, who am I? And that makes sense, right? When God created us, in the beginning, he gave us identity. We are to be reflections of who he is to his glory. And so humanity walked closely with our creator. We, we fellowshiped intimately with the one we worshiped. But we rejected that, which we call sin. And thus, brokenness entered humanity and it shattered the image of God, the reflection of God in us, broken, distorted, and now for all of human history, we're just trying to pick up the pieces, salvage them, and scrap them together, not into the image of God, but into the image of man, into what we believe we should be in our own eyes, and what we surmise is the best version of who we think we are in our eyes. And that is why we stake our ultimate identity in things like sexuality, possessions, popularity, privilege, status, wealth, success, pleasures, ethnicity, vocation, relationships, and fill in the blank, hundreds of things. When someone makes something other than God ultimate to who they are, it becomes misguided worship. It's why displacing those false objects of worship as our ultimate causes pushback from our world and from within. We are dethroning these idols on our heart. And like these other temporary pursuits, which we fashion as supreme in our hearts, gender can be so easily ingrained into our ultimate identity. But then we look at Genesis, sorry, Galatians 3.28. Look at Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, that's race. There's neither slave nor free, that's status. And there is no male or female, that's gender, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Now in context, this is not minimizing differences. Men and women are not interchangeable or indistinguishable, but it is stating that our ultimate identity is in Jesus. Our primary identity in Christ completely trumps our identity in anything else this world has to offer. Men and women, it says, have both, if you are in Jesus, have been baptized in Christ. You have put on Christ. You are one in Christ. And so ladies, listen to me. That means your marital status, whether you are married or single, does not define who you are. Jesus does. So the Christian life is understanding and growing into our ultimate identity in Jesus. So let's go back to the beginning. Literally, back to the beginning. Go to the beginning of your Bible, Genesis chapter one, verse 26. If you don't have your Bibles or a Bible app on your phone, first of all, you should download one, but the, the verses will be on the screen here. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So here it is, listen, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In his image, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. 
And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. God created mankind in his own image. Male and female, he created what? Them. When an engineer designs something, a machine or a process, there is intentionality in that design. So you have form, you have function, you have purpose. He or she is designing something, the form and function, with an intended purpose in mind. And God had intentionality in our design, our form, our function, our purpose. God created us, designed us very deliberately. We were made in the image of God. We bear his likeness. That means we there are qualities within humanity that emulate who God is. We have characteristics that reflect his character. So all people have value on God's green earth because we bear his signature. It doesn't matter people group, ethnicity, political status, background. It doesn't matter if you like someone or not. All people have value because we bear the signature of our creator. And it says male and female. So co-bearers of God's image, equal in worth, dignity, value, and status. Not hierarchical, not lesser, not greater, not superior, not dominant, equal. Male and female, both together reflect aspects of who God is. And both male and female are essential to a fuller picture of God's glory in his image. So if male and female are made in God's image, then both reflect God's character. Men and women are equal in worth, dignity, value, and status, but we are inherently different. And there's no way around that. There is God-given gender distinction And gender distinction is not a bad thing, but in our society, it's been minimized and even to some extent villainized. Now, there are two major pitfalls regarding gender distinction. Number one, on one hand, is overemphasizing our differences to divisive, toxic levels, and society has tried that at various points in history, overemphasizing one gender to the detriment of the other. And you look at the history of women, and it does not look favorable over the centuries. That's why we have things like misogyny, abuse, neglect, sexual harassment, male chauvinism, paternalism. You realize that women were not even able to vote until 1920 in our country. Uh, Women being minimized, objectified, belittled, crude jokes. And these are sad realities that need to be acknowledged and need to be repented of if we have participated in them or if we stood silent, not voicing our objections when others participated in them. And I gotta tell you, when I was younger, and I made some stupid, crude jokes at the expense of women that belittled women and objectified women, and praise God that God is a God of grace because I never wanna do those again. These are all efforts to devalue women, whether intentional or not. Now on the flip side, society minimalizes these beautiful differences, which minimalizes, minimizes the glory of God. See, greater diversity among the worshipers of God magnifies the glory of God. 
It's why there's not just one people group that worships God, but every people group. It's not why there's just one gender, but both genders. Greater diversity magnifies the glory of God, and yet rather than respecting and honoring our differences between the genders and seeing them as beautiful aspects of the image and glory of God upon mankind, our society probably as a response to the treatment of women over the centuries, mostly seeks to blur gender lines. But God did not create us as androgynous creatures. God created a better way, humanity in stereo. You know when you're in your car, you're driving along and you mess with the radio and the song is playing and there's a little dial where you can mess with the balance of the song and you can mess with the tune so you can go all the way to the right and you have more treble, so you have the higher register notes. You have the string instruments, you have the horn section, the wind instruments, you have the sopranos, the altos. And then you go all the way to the left and now you have bass and you hear the <laughs> you, get the, you get the bass drum, you get the bass guitar, you get the baritone voices, right? And when you go to one channel, one extreme or the other, you get an aspect of the song, but you don't get the full song. And there is a time to focus on one channel versus another to better understand the song, but to hear the full song, you must have both channels in harmony and in balance. And if we focus on and celebrate man to the detriment of women, we miss out on God's intended design. God created and celebrated gender differentiation. In Genesis 1, God created you know, all these different things each day, creating something, and then it says at the end of the day, he, be, he saw it, and it was what? Good. It's the Hebrew word tov, meaning perfect, wholesome, exactly as it was meant to be. And then on the sixth day, God created humanity, and behold, it was very good. So we are equal, but we are not the same. And that is good, very good. Masculinity and femininity are not bad, but they have been sadly caricatured. So why did God create women? Well, look over at the next chapter, chapter two. Genesis two zooms back into that sixth day with a focused retelling of the creation of humanity. And look at verse 18. God declares something not good for the first time. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a, underline this, a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock, to birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found a, underline this, helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. It is not good. For the first time, God declares a deficiency in his creation. And interestingly, the Lord tasks the man with naming animals. 
So here you have, you know, he's parading the animals in front of him. Uh, I don't know, tiger, giraffe. Uh, I'd be lying if I said that this big cat wasn't a cool-looking thing. Lion. It's <sighs> a terrible dad joke, folks. This thing is really slow and slothful. Snail. So he sees all these animals and they're parading a, a, around him and I, I, I imagine that he gets to the point that every animal that comes by, he senses deep in his soul his aloneness. God wanted him to sense that he was missing something. He needed to realize this himself. There was no one and nothing else like him. No one suitable for him, no one fit for him. Man was alone and it was not good. By serving in this task, man encountered his need, namely a helper fit for him. See, God was enough for man. God is enough for us. If God created humanity and nothing else in all creation, that would be enough. He is sufficient. So God was enough for man, but God was not finished with man. God created woman from man for man, not as his rival, not as a threat, but as his partner. And he does it from his side. You know, Reverend Randy Patton said this a couple weeks ago, that God didn't take a piece of his skull, didn't take a piece of his foot as if woman was above him or below him, but from his side, equal partners. And then the man said, this at last, I love that, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Have you ever waited for something eagerly, like you want this thing so badly, or this thing to happen and you wait and wait and wait and as you're waiting the anticipation builds, the excitement's building and then finally it happens and you're just like, <laughs> okay, just me, no? <laughs> and you have this exuberance, notice the exuberance in Adam, at last, yes, she's like me in all the right ways and she's not like me in all the right ways. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. This is a statement of worship. In fact, this was the first recorded worship song spoken because God created woman from man as a helper fit for him. Animals would have never sufficed. Man may be, excuse me, dog may be man's best friend, but he's not his equal, not his compliment, not his helper fit for him. Man needed one who was like him, but not the same. Someone who would be the right fit. Perhaps someone taken from him so that he could be reunited with her in oneness as one flesh. Humanity was intentionally designed by God to be composed of male and female, and these two genders complement one another to display the beauty of God more fully. Ladies, listen to me. A man will not, ever, does not complete you. Fellas, listen to me. A woman will not complete you. Oh, I know there was a, a movie in the mid-90s where at the end, Tom Cruise walks in and he sees across the living room his lady friend, his love interest, and he goes, hey, you complete me. You Complete me. 
She's crying, he's crying, everyone in the room is crying, everyone watching the movie is crying, and it's this beautiful sentimental moment, but theologically, it's hot garbage. (laughs) Men and women, you cannot complete one another. You weren't designed that way. Men and women complement one another. This is true in humanity, and if it's true in humanity, it's true in the home. It's true in the family. We are different, and yet we are meant to, designed to work together. So in this passage, there is this significant Hebrew word, ezer, translated helper. Now be honest, how many of you, when you hear the word helper, you think in terms of inferiority? Like less than, like so far beneath our feet, subordinate under us. You shouldn't. In the 21 times this word is used in the Old Testament, twice it's used of women and 16 times it's used of God. The Lord is my helper. The Lord is our helper. Helper does not indicate second class or lower status. In fact, it implies that the one being helped requires support. Man was alone and needed assistance. And so God provided, he created woman as his helper. Helper is a valued responsibility. It's a place of honor. And God made a helper fit for him, suitable for him. This word fit or suitable, it's the Hebrew word konegdo, which is a compound word. So the first part of the word, ki, means same, and neged means opposite. Do you see what it's saying there? It literally means a helper who is the same but opposite. How cool is that? A helper who is equal but not the same, who is fit for him. And so what was woman to help man do? Well, look back in Genesis 1.26. God says, let them have dominion. So men and women were to steward God's creation together as representative royal rulers of the king. When you, by faith, trust in the Lord, you are a son or daughter of the king. And what's another name for a son of the king, folks? Prince. What's another name for a daughter of the king? Princess. We were created to be princes and princesses, representative royal rulers of the king, exercising benevolent dominion over his creation together, but in unique ways. Men and women, put it this way, are co-heirs in Christ. And in the family, they are partners with unique callings and unique giftings, unique roles Women have God-given special capacities physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally that are necessary and different from man. And through these, women was to help man steward God's creation. And now, married couples in the family, they steward the home together in different roles. So men lead spiritually. That was covered last week. We do believe that. I mean, it's attested in Scripture, Ephesians 5, 1 Peter 3, Titus 2, just to name a few, men lead spiritually and serve with grace, patience, love, kindness, sacrifice, humility, diligence. That's how we are to lead. And in the home, women support, encourage, counsel, care, and nurture. 
Ray Ortland says it this way, in the partnership of two spiritually equal human beings, man and woman, the man bears the primary responsibility to lead the partnership in a God-glorifying direction. Listen to me. Men and women, this is not the same as male domination. Men ruling over their wives, men exerting, asserting their wants and their wills over their wives. That's not what this is saying. Women were not created to be dominated by men. Look at what God tells Eve in the next chapter, Genesis 3, verse 16. As a result of the fall, he says, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. So the husband leading in the home was a pre-fall condition. It's not like, oh, they sinned, all right, I guess the man can lead. That's not, that's not the case. It's a pre-fall condition, but now sin enters in. And now you have some men distorting their leadership through disrespect and domineering and abuse and neglect, etc. Leading and ruling in terms of ungodly domination are not synonymous. Women, this is not doormat theology where you're just gonna be all walked over. This is not forced servitude. You are called to be servant-hearted. You are called to respect your husband and be respectful. The Bible does teach that men lead in the home, but listen to me, only Jesus is Lord of your home. Husbands, she is not your slave. She is not your servant there to, at your every beck and call. Well, yeah, but she doesn't do as I order her to do. She doesn't submit, because that's not submission. That is a crude, distorted sense of submission. Submission cannot be weaponized. Men lead. Lead with grace and love. It should be an honor for her to follow godly leadership in the home. Lead as Jesus led, selflessly serving the church. Maybe wash her feet, metaphorically and maybe even literally. Serve your wife with love and grace. Lead that way. So what does a wife do? Well, a wife follows the godly direction of her husband within the household while her ultimate Devotion is to Christ above all. She follows his leadership first and foremost. So in God's intended design, the husband is leading in such a way that the wife grows in her love for and devotion to Jesus. That's the intended design. That's how this should work. So how should women conduct themselves? Proverbs 31 was read earlier. Verse 30 says this, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. Beauty is fleeting, oh how true that is. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So Proverbs 31 describes biblical womanhood, femininity, what a godly wife does. It paints this picture of a godly wife. She's trustworthy, she seeks the good of others. She stewards her household, she's strong, she's determined, she's compassionate to the poor, she cares for the needy. She's bold, she's courageous, she speaks kind and wise words, she's diligent in work, and her children call her blessed and her husband praises her. Now I know, I've talked to a number of women and they, maybe this is you, you hear Proverbs 31 and you're like, oh, here we go again. This litany of 
checklist, to-do responsibilities, like this, this measure that I could never measure up to, this ideal perfect woman that I have to be, that I could just never earn my way to, I can never measure up, and you're right, you can't measure up. This is not to make women despair, because you will never do these things perfectly. But this is showing fruit produced from the gospel at work in a woman's heart. These are not prescriptive words to try your best to to live up to because that will result in failure and shame. You will get crushed if you look at it that way. These are not prescriptive. These are descriptive. You are growing in these godly traits through Christ in your life. So ladies, listen to me. More than what you do, Proverbs 31 is who you already are because of who Jesus is. And then we look at 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3 is kind of a New Testament equivalent. Peter writes in verses 3 and 4, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart within the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Ladies, listen to me. You are precious. God sees you. God takes notice of you. God sees true beauty. Yeah, God created the external, but he delights in the internal. We should do the same. Men value women as made in God's image. Don't objectify them. Oh, our world, our society does plenty of that. Don't objectify them. Don't minimize them. Don't belittle them. Hold them in high esteem, in high regard, in respect and value. Women, listen to me. Your value is not in your achievement or performance and is not in playing the comparison game. I mean, you you go on Instagram and you have these celebrities who are like, oh, I'm gonna be this sacrificial martyr and post a picture of me without makeup. Mm. (laughs) They have millions of dollars at their disposal for beauticians and dietitians and personal trainers. I would love to see a celebrity post a picture right after they wake up with all kinds of crazy bed hair. Never seen that. Because it's not Facebook, folks, it's fake book. No one posts their real self on there. So don't play the comparison game, ladies. Find your value in Christ and seek inner godly character in him and him alone. Now how should women be treated? Write these down. Honored, valued, celebrated, consulted. Honored, valued, celebrated, consulted. That's the pattern we see in scripture. You know, women are so prominently featured in God's redemptive story throughout the scriptures. The Bible features so many women of valor and dignity, and I I wish I had time to tell the story of each one and get into their stories and how they demonstrated godly womanhood. Women like Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Rahab, Deborah, Ruth, Hannah, Abigail, Esther, Mary, Martha, Phoebe, Priscilla, and the list goes on. 
Now, these were not perfect, as no Bible character is other than Jesus. They had their warts. They had their faults. But they were admired for their godliness. If you want to look at how women should be treated, look no further than Jesus. Look at how Jesus interacted with women. Look at how Jesus showed dignity and value. See, women back then had very little rights. No rights in the court of law. Jewish men in, in some of the uh, Jewish laws were not even to speak to a woman in public. And so they were shamed, they were belittled. And then Jesus arrives on the scene and he turns everything around. And he respects women, he values women, he shows them dignity, which was radical and countercultural. Jesus shows kindness to a woman at a well. Not just any woman, but uh, what? What was she? A Samaritan woman. Jews hated Samaritans. So now here's Jesus, and he initiates a conversation, showing her dignity, showing her value. This woman had a sordid past. He says, I see you. I know your past. I still love you. I still value you. He showed kindness and value. Even his disciples coming back, and they're thinking, what is he doing talking to this woman? Because that's what Jesus does. He honors, values, celebrates, and consults. What about uh, uh, where he's on the cross and he provides for, praises his mother and cares for her. He tells John, hey, this is your mother now. Care for her. Those are some of his last dying words on the cross. I love my mother. Take care of her. He shows mercy to the woman with bleeding for 12 years. And this bleeding in general back then would have made someone unclean, especially this kind of bleeding. And so you can imagine this woman feeling oppressed and shamed her whole life. Nothing but shame, nothing but being despised. And here comes Jesus and he says, who, who touched my garment? And she says, you know, it's me. He lifts her up, I can't, or he, maybe he stoops down and he, imagine, looks at her in the face and says, daughter, 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 your faith has made you well. He demonstrates love for her sisters Mary and Martha. He teaches the personhood of women constantly. He tenderly heals a woman with a spinal ailment. For 18 years she had this and he heals her. He ministers to widows. Again, the list goes on. I could keep going. Honored, valued, celebrated, consulted. Now, when we come and cover womanhood, that, there's a broad spectrum of topics we could cover. We just can't cover them all. But you know when you go to a website and you see the FAQ section? What does that stand for? Frequently asked questions. Here are what I think are some of the frequently asked questions with this topic. First of all, what about singles? Do you realize that right now in the US, 115 million US adults are unmarried? And that is likely some of you. Absolutely, some of you are single. Listen to me. You are loved, you are valued, and you deserve to be heard and respected and acknowledged and cherished. There's an entire chapter in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 7, all about singles and singleness and singlehood. Now, for single women, some of you are called to be single for a season. Some of you are called to be single for life. Either way, that's a unique, special calling, just like marriage. And so relish in it. 
Regardless, submit to Christ. You may not have a husband, but the church is the bride of Christ, so submit to Christ and find your value in him. Find your identity in him. Not in a man, not in pursuit of a relationship, because again, that will crush you. Be content in who you are, in your identity, your status in Christ, unless or until God alters your singleness. What about gender stereotypes? Things like throw like a girl, hit like a girl, act like a girl, emotional like a woman. Can we just throw those things out of our vocabulary right now? Now there are some helpful gender stereotypes, I believe, but these are harmful stereotypes that are hurtful and pejorative. pejorative. Let's throw them out right now. I, I think about there was a Super Bowl commercial years ago where it showed uh, men and women who were probably teenagers and up, and the woman behind the camera says, hey, show what it looks like to throw like a girl. And they'd be like, you know, all demeaning, disrespectful. Show what it looks like to run like a girl, you know, all insulting. And then it showed little girls who had not yet heard that as an insult. It says, throw like a girl. They throw with all their might. Run like a girl, and they're running with all their gusto, with all their might, all their strength. And as a dad of daughters, I see this, and I'm like, yes! I want to raise up Proverbs 31 women, women who are strong and full of dignity. So let's just throw these harmful stereotypes out. Can we do that, church? And also, listen, Mark Chansky says it this way, the false stereotype of a Christian woman being a helpless and frail mouse who passively shades herself under the parasol of her soft femininity and adoringly waits for her husband to do all the heavy lifting is shattered by the scriptures. Biblical woman and womanhood in the home also is not necessarily the same as doing all the traditional household responsibilities, the chores like cleaning and cooking and doing dishes. In our home, my wife does the cooking because if I did the cooking, we'd be having microwave dinners every meal of every day. <laughs> it wouldn't be pretty. So she does the cooking and we kind of have, have an arrangement. She hates doing the dishes. And she, so she's like, literally, she told me this last week. She's like, Jared, you don't have to wash my feet. Just wash the dishes. <laughs> and I do my own laundry. And we, we have, this is case dependent. It's a case by case basis. Work this out with your spouse. What about women who work outside the home? Well, Titus 2 does point to women striving for godly character and stewarding their household. It does say that. It also says women are to disciple younger women. So ladies, who are you discipling? Fellas, who are you discipling? Because it says the same thing for men. But it does not forbid working outside the home. In fact, Proverbs 31 that we just read earlier literally describes a wife who works a business outside of her home. What about women in leadership? Well, we do hold to male headship in the home and male eldership in the church because we believe that's biblical, it's in the scriptures. And we also encourage and celebrate women as leaders in so many contexts. Do you realize that two-thirds of the missionaries in our world have been women? Do you realize that? Now, we can hear that and bemoan that, or we can celebrate that. I celebrate that, and I also want to call more men into the mission field. You can do both. So we can celebrate women in leadership. What about gender confusion? Gender dysphoria. 
If you know someone who is struggling with their cisgender, that means the gender they're born with, listen. Listen to them before ever speaking a word. Listen to them. Empathize with them. Pray for them. Pray with them before you go to the truths of Scripture. Now, do take them to the Bible. Do point out scriptural identity and gender and what this means, but listen to them first because when you listen to someone, it makes them feel valued. And if you're in here or you're online and you wrestle with this, you struggle with this yourself, remember the power of identity. Your gender or what you want your gender to be cannot be your identity because, again, your primary identity, that will crush you. Case in point, here's the bottom line. Being a woman means first being a disciple of Jesus and bringing him glory in our homes, in our communities, and in our church. Years ago, when my wife and I were dating, we had a group of friends that came up to us and they're like, hey, we're going swing dancing. Tuesday night, Fort Worth, Texas, downtown, there was swing dancing. And, and when I get on the dance floor, I have two left feet. <laughs> like, I'm uncoordinated in general. Now you ask me to move and gyrate and flail my limbs to the beat of a rhythm, like, <laughs> forget it. That's, that, that ain't gonna be pretty. But we're like, all right, that sounds fun. There was a, an instructor there, and he, he gave a 45-minute lesson on, okay, here's some basic moves. And so he said, all right, guys, I want you to find your gal, your dance partner, and he's teaching us a move. So he's like, you know, one, two, rock step. One, two, rock step. I know, impressive, right? And so he says, I want you to take your left hand and hold her right hand. And I'm you want to take your right hand and put it on the small of her back. Now on the third rock step, you're going to go one, two, rock step. At that point, I want you to move your left hand across your face while you take your right hand and gently guide her, initiating her into a spin. And so we would do this and get that down. And then he'd say, okay, ladies, now it's your turn. You're gonna do the mirror reflection of that, the complementary moves, if you will. So we get this down, and Sky and I, now there's like two hours of open free dancing, and we're like, all right, we got this. And it was so disastrous. <laughs> She's stepping on my feet, I'm stepping on hers, we're both trying to lead, then we're both trying to follow, and I remember my wife just stops and says, Jared, I need you to lead. Now lead with grace, lead with gentleness, but I need you to lead. And once I started doing that, it was marginally better. <laughs> now we don't remember how to swing dance anymore, hardly at all, but we remember one move. We, we got one move down. So when we go to a wedding where there's a reception on the dance floor and they start playing a swing dance song, we'll be like, oh, this old thing? And then bust out this move. <laughs> and you know, people are like, oh! Woo! They can dance. Now, they have no idea how wrong they are. <laughs> but they don't go, oh, what a male chauvinistic pig. Le Look at how he's leading her, thinking he's so superior. No. They don't say, wow, he's good. Wow, she's good. They say, wow, they're good. Because there's synergy. There's a symbiotic relationship in the dance. And God created the dance and there's intentionality behind it, intentionality behind gender for a specific purpose, and that's to reflect the image of God and bring him glory.